Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks at Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast, and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. It's great to have you here. Very pleased to bring you this interview with Julie Brewer. Julie is the president of the new cardiovascular diagnostics and services business at Medtronic. We'll talk about the origins of the business, what it's tackling, and where it's headed. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get future episodes sent directly to your phone, please do subscribe. You can find Medtronic Talks on all major podcast applications, Google, Spotify, and Amazon. Before we begin this interview with Julie Brewer, I'd like to bring in this episode's sponsor, Minnesota Rubber and Plastics. I'm speaking with Don Bonatati, the Global Director of Metal Device Product Strategy at Minnesota Rubber and Plastics. Don, tell me about Minnesota Rubber and Plastics. Minnesota Rubber and Plastics is a leader in material compound development, manufacturing, and assembly of custom elastomeric and thermoplastic components. With facilities across North America, Europe, and Asia, MRP collaborates with medical device manufacturers to solve difficult sealing and component challenges. We add measurable economic value to a wide range of products by making best-in-class materials science expertise accessible to our customers. Our intense focus on elastomer and thermoplastics is ideal for critical products that simply cannot fail. That's great. And how do you work with medical technology companies? Time is at a premium in the healthcare industry. Creating highly differentiated and valuable products and bringing them to market quickly is in the best interest of the patient. But simply working fast or shortcutting engineering and innovation processes is not the answer. That path opens the door to serious compromises in design, quality, and cost. The solution is collaboration. Creating synergies between the experience and capabilities of our customers' research and development teams and our own technical teams accelerates product development and creates truly innovative solutions that will improve product performance for patients. Thanks, Don. We'll hear more from Minnesota Rubber and Plastics a little later in the podcast. For more information about Minnesota Rubber and Plastics, go to mnrubber.com. Now let's begin this interview with Julie Brewer. Well, Julie Brewer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. I'm hoping you could uh, we could start the, the the podcast with just a sort of an overview of the business and sort of where you fit into uh, into the, the the big picture. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the business you oversee. Yeah, I'm happy to. So I lead the cardiovascular diagnostics and services business, which. Um, actually is a new operating unit within Medtronic. It's been around. We created this space and this business over 20 years ago and was part of the cardiac rhythm management business and still works very closely with the CRM business. But because of all the opportunity ahead, 
uh, Jeff Martha's uh, new structure of the operating unit model. Uh, he elevated this business as a separate operating unit. And so I'm really honored to be leading the business with all of the exciting things we have in the future. So what are your, let's just get kind of hit upon the two or three top products that you're selling and, and who are your points of contact in the industry? Who are you selling to? Our, our foundational technology is what we call the link technology, reveal link and link Two. Uh, we created this space again 20 years ago, and, and it is a technology whereby the, uh, the therapy of the device is the data. And so we serve many different indications, and that indication list will grow as we move forward. Uh, we have a, a main base of business in the U.S., Western Europe, Australia, and Japan, with a lot of opportunity to move into other markets here as we move forward. All right. Well, that's a great primer. Thanks for, for setting us up. And I'm sure I've blown a lot of minds of listeners who, who, I, who know I always start every podcast asking about the guests. Now we'll get into that part of the program. Sure. Uh, how did you find your way into, uh, into MedTech specifically early on? Yeah, I just celebrated on August 1st, my 15 year anniversary with Medtronic. So, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great company, a great experience. I've been in healthcare since 1992. I started uh, in pharma and then I moved into capital equipment and then really found Medtronic 15 years ago as I made my move into medical device. So it's been a great experience and afforded me a lot of opportunities to move around the organization, primarily in the commercial space, but I've always had a thirst and a passion for business leadership uh, in my commercial roles. I very routinely uh, would be uh, a part of the strategy discussions and, and work with the functional leaders to, to kind of swim outside my lane. And so Medtronic afforded me about two and a half years ago, the opportunity to lead this business, uh, the diagnostic mm-hmm. space. I was the VP of sales of this business back in 2013, 2014, when we launched uh, the link technology, which really revolutionized the space and, and continues to provide great opportunity moving forward. So been in, again in healthcare since 92, primarily commercial and now uh, the business leadership here for the last couple of years. And just recently an operating unit president with the new restructure. So really thrilled to, to have the opportunity to, to lead this space. That's terrific. Well, as you said, you started with pharma and then you moved into capital equipment. You've stayed in med tech. So we'll take that as, a, as a, an indication that this is the best of the three since uh, I was able to hold on to you. It's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And Medtronic's, as you know, great people, great companies. So I'm really honored to be here. Well, you did start off uh, it was, uh, in Allegan, which was a company with a really strong culture as well. And McKesson also. I mean, it's a, can't dismiss that. Two, two great of the com- companies. What did you sort of take away from, from all three experiences working at, at larger companies with strong cultures in different parts of, of the healthcare space? I wonder, were there any, any commonalities at all? Well, one key common, commonality was really that the opportunity to to think broad across the business. So we had a one McKesson strategy when I was leading at McKesson of how do we work with CAP between our robotics division that I was in and Mm -hmm. and how do we uh, to collaborate across the broad distribution of med surge technology. So there seems to be a common element of how do you sort of, again, as Jeff Martha puts it, play big, play small, when you think about the synergy that large organizations have across different businesses. And so I think that's a really common theme, whether it's customer facing on how you present and show up in the customer eyes, or as well as, you know, a leveraging best practices across a broad organization. So uh, certainly that was, I think, true at all, at all the, the, the businesses that I've, or companies that I've been a part of. And I think Allergan was fantastic at development as mm-hmm. is Medtronic, but great training ground. I was young in my career at that time a ton of great experience and training. Uh, and I think pharmaceutical in general does a great job with training their people. 
it's one of those companies that when people work there, they tend to have a very strong allegiance for it and fond memories of it when they've uh, when they've left. So uh, uh, it's a great place to start. So let's circle back again and start talking about your your business. Uh, you, you mentioned that it's sort of carved out of uh, CRM. And you've got a lot of great tech that I think it looks as if you're sort of built for a sprint. They're really going to be advancing forward. Uh, let's talk uh, about some of your, your recent news. I mean, you Let's hit upon artificial intelligence because we all love to talk about AI and we love to say AI. You had a couple of, uh, of approvals from the uh, FDA for your uh Accurhythm AI algorithms, which are three A's in a row, which I had a little trouble saying. A mouthful. <laughs> a mouthful. Let's talk about that. This is for the, the link to ICM. What, what do these approvals mean for, uh, for Medtronic? Yeah, no, really exciting. Uh, great step forward and really the first of what will be many steps in this artificial intelligence area. As I mentioned before, the link technology, the data is the therapy of the device. And since we've been the market leader for a number of years in this space, we've had the good fortune of collecting a lot of data. And so how we leverage that data to help our customers and ultimately help patients is what we've been focused on. So AccuRhythm AI is a step forward to go after one challenge, and that is how, to, how can we help our customers better manage the data mm-hmm. and reduce data burden? And so these are two unique algorithms that will greatly reduce the number of false positives, specifically around AF and around pause, which represents 90% of what creates all the false positives in this space. And so huge reduction in those to be able to reduce data burden, open up capacity for physicians and their healthcare providers to better manage these patients. So those are large reductions percentage-wise. Uh, is there a, a lot of uh, false alarms, so to speak? Uh, not necessarily with just linked to, but with this sort of technology, is this like the car alarm you hear in the street that goes off all the time, you ignore it. And one time you ignore it, there's actually someone trying to, to break in. How, how big of an issue is the, 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 false, uh, the false information? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, Tom. So we've made a ton of progress over the years. And again, we started some time ago with the reveal link technology and have created new algorithms over time. So literally on our sixth algorithm in the main device where we've improved algorithms traditionally around AF or around pause detection, but you want to balance that sensitivity and specificity. So you don't want to miss those true alerts. So we've always um, had the you know, the objective to make sure that we're not missing any true alerts while we're minimizing false alerts. And so we've done that in a traditional algorithm, algorithmic way, but AI really allows us to take that to a much greater level of um, accuracy because we can leverage all of these data that we've had over the years to make it even more, uh, more accurate and be able to greatly reduce false positives beyond what a traditional algorithm could do. So I hope that makes sense. It's, 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 again, it's a great step forward in AI and really just the low hanging fruit of what we can do moving forward. And, and what, uh, and I'm sure you said this, but just to clarify for my own sake, what, what is the, the false positive signaling? Is it a, is it a atrial fibrillation? Is it something milder? What, what is it? Yeah. Or is it, is it many, many different things? Again, the two main algorithms and they're what we call locked algorithms. So they're not continuously learning over time. We mm-hmm. worked closely with FDA to, to lock in these algorithms, and then we'll be able to provide updates to those algorithms, but it's not a continuous learning algorithm. The AF algorithm specifically, again, um, maintaining about 99.3% of the true alerts while getting rid of about 74% reduction in false alerts. So that's probably been the most challenging, certainly for all the 
other companies out there in this space. They're on their first or second generation algorithms in the AF space. And we've been working on this for a number of years. So this makes it even more advanced than where it was before. For pause, which is typically what is, is the uh, arrhythmia that they're looking for, for example, for a syncope patient or someone who's had unexplained fainting, uh, we are able to achieve with AI 100% sensitivity. So maintaining 100% true rhythms while reducing about 94% of the false positives. So it will allow for just making sure the data that the physician or the healthcare provider receives is as clean as possible and limits the amount of sort of, sort of ongoing adjudication for those false positives that they need to uh, that they need to do in their clinic. And is this information that's sent to clinicians or is it sent to patients? Is it someone with an app on their phone and they're getting an indication or again, it's going to the doctor's office? Yeah, today it's going to the doctor's office. So most of the EP electrophysiology and uh, you know some uh, cardiologists have device clinics that will actually manage all of this data. And so that's been one of the, as this technology has been so successful over the last few years, the amount of data has grown tremendously And so really trying to make sure we open up the capacity of those clinics and make it easier to manage the data. So as you, as it relates to AI and as you come up with improvements like these, I'm curious if this, if you're relying upon feedback from physicians to see that these improvements are are necessary, or do you have some sort of internal process that uh, you're identifying things that need to be improved upon? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. So we, we certainly have, Great uh, feedback from physicians rely on that partnership with our physician and our healthcare provider partners to to give us feedback on where there are opportunities or pain points that we need to address. And then we can also see based upon our CareLink database, you know, how much data is flowing through, how much of that data is is, uh, productive and, and obviously true alerts versus what might be false alerts. And so it'll be a combination of opportunities to see how we leverage all of this valuable data that we have to provide Mm -hmm. better insights, as well as then making sure we're not doing it just for the sake of doing it. We're doing it based upon physician feedback on on what the needs are to either make their life easier or to help identify patient populations that could be at risk or could benefit. Let's move on to another hot space here, your app-based research. You've uh, announced that you initiated the Define AFib research study. Uh, Tell us a bit about that. What does that uh, entail and, and why is it so different than other studies? We'll take a break from this conversation with Julie Burr to bring back our episode sponsor, Minnesota Rubber and Plastic. I'm here with Don Bonatati, the Global Director of Medical Device Product Strategy. Don, what are some of the examples of applications that feature your medical components and assemblies? We collaborate with most of the major medical technology companies that are household names. For example, many of the clinical portfolio groups within Medtronic on a wide range of critical applications. We have deep expertise in these example areas, cardiovascular, medical surgical, diabetes, diagnostics, and drug delivery, to name a few. And tell me, Don, what expertise can you share with the engineering professionals at Medtronic? We have unique and specialized knowledge in material selection and development processes. Because of our expertise, we have been solving some of the most difficult challenges for decades. One particular challenge can be the material selection process for elastomers, which can seem daunting. To combat this, we just published a new detailed guide on elastomer material selection that walks engineers through the critical design factors to consider when selecting an elastomer for your medical components. This white paper is a guideline. 
we encourage our customers to partner with us directly to leverage our product design and tooling engineers early in the development process. Anyone can access this guide at mnrubber.com forward slash elastomer guide. Final question, Don. I understand you have some exciting news at Minnesota Rubber and Plastics. Please share. We are thrilled to announce that in the spring of 2022, we will be opening a new innovation center. With this new innovation center, customers will have access to an exclusive engineer-to-engineer experience designed to improve product performance and enhance speed to market. Our new innovation center provides engineers and other innovators with direct access to the industry's foremost material science engineers, along with a fully integrated design, prototyping, manufacturing, testing process. Here we will collaborate with customer teams to explore a full range of materials, including LSR and gum silicone, black rubber, and thermoplastics. Additionally, we can apply our innovative and ever-growing coatings chemistries to enhance our material science solutions. On-site, we'll offer the equipment, processes, and personal experience to explore complex geometries and multiple material designs. Bringing all of these processes under one roof can significantly reduce costs and remove many weeks from the component development process. Engineering teams can visit the Plymouth, Minnesota facility and collaborate with our material science experts in person or engage the team and our new integrated process online through a dedicated online experience. We invite listeners to learn more at mnrubber.com forward slash medical device. Excellent. Thanks, Don. Once again, if you want to find out more information, you can go to mnrubber.com and you can find Don on LinkedIn. His last name is spelled B-O-N-I-T-A-T-I. Now let's get back into our conversation with Julie Brewer of Medtronic. Let's move on to another hot space here, your app-based research. You've uh, announced that you initiated the Define AFib uh, research study. Uh, tell us a bit about that. What does that uh, entail and, and why is it so different than other studies? Yeah, it's really exciting. This has been a, a great step forward in innovation around clinical research, but also around setting a foundation for how we uh, engage with patients. And one of those areas where in today's digital healthcare world, patients want to see their data. And that in, in, in electronic health records, they're, they're seeing in their data and are getting more and more access to their data. So this is a controlled way for us to be able to answer clinical questions around atrial fibrillation, how much atrial fibrillation matters, also to combine other data uh, like smartwatches or whatever's in their Apple Health Kit. Um, however, they're collecting data in their smartphone, we can start to aggregate that data with the high fidelity link data and start to look at associations for how much AF is creating worse outcomes for patients or quality of life impacts for patients. So it's going to really serve many, many uh, purposes. Number one, we'll be doing doing research for the first time all on the phone, everything from consent to how patients and, and clinicians are engaging with the study. Number two is we'll be providing patients feedback on their AF, looking at how much AF they're having in a day and starting to ask questions and survey patients based upon um, the amount of AF that they're having. And Mm -hmm. then third, uh, associating all this other data that we have out there to be able to make more powerful assessments of what's happening with the patient. 
So what does this study look like when you've compiled all the data? Is it, and, and, and how is this information going to be used? Is this for some regulatory uh, submission or is it just for your internal research? No, it's a, it's, it's a post-market registry of mm-hmm. 5,000 patients that we'll be using to, again, look at uh, associations with different uh, levels of atrial fibrillation. Yep. We'll be looking at how patients respond to data. We'll be um, aggregating other data to be able to see what the associations are. So we'll be able to apply machine learning and and start to look for those high-risk AF populations that then we can further research and hopefully get to uh, a way to help physicians be able to better identify who they need to pay more attention to as it relates to atrial fibrillation. Is atrial fibrillation especially suited for this sort of connectivity technology? Uh, I mean, it seems to be a great use of uh, of this tech, and it seems like an area that uh, really needs sort of a, a a more regular line of communication between patients and clinicians. Yes, well, there's certainly been a ton of awareness, especially as you know, things like the Apple Watch yeah. and wearable technologies are talking more and more about AF. AF is a worldwide problem uh, globally, a huge healthcare problem, and, and certainly a big risk factor as we think about stroke being a a terrible uh, um, healthcare problem around the globe. So atrial fibrillation is, I think, the first of what can be managed with these technologies. And with Link specifically, uh, we've built a foundation around atrial fibrillation, but building upon that as we move forward and incorporate other sensors and moving beyond AF is also clearly an objective moving forward. Yeah, what what can link to what is it in in, in I guess in broadly, but what can it, what really can it be? Is this really a platform for for as you indicated? Many yeah, things it, going it's a forward? platform technology. So if you think back to how we started in this business, that you know the, the technology was developed again back in 1998, 20 years ago plus, and was really for syncope and for patients with unexplained fainting. It was about the size of a a memory stick, 10 cc's, a surgical incision much more invasive. And then 2014 was a real pivot point where we launched uh, the link technology, greatly miniaturized it by over 80% and opened up the opportunity for physician acceptance, patient acceptance, didn't need to be the, you know, the intimidating surgical procedure. And at the same time, landmark evidence came out in the crystal AF study in the New England Journal of Medicine that showed the benefit of long-term monitoring in the cryptogenic or um, stroke of unknown cause population. So that was sort of the first pivot point for Link really setting this new market that took people by surprise, took our, our competitors by surprise, even some people within Medtronic, how, how much opportunity and how much patient need there was for this technology. So that was sort of the first, I would call S-curve, the first growth uh, around Link was back in 2014. Um, and now link two is that next sort of wave of growth that sets the foundation of moving from diagnostics technology to really a more robust disease management tool. Um, and, you know, there's so much attention around digital healthcare and sensor technology. It's really mm-hmm. at the forefront of all of that. And, and I assume this is all made possible with, with obviously miniaturization. You mentioned the, the advance in 2014, but, but Bluetooth connectivity as well. I mean, this is this is taking advantage of all those uh, the all those yeah. new tech. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So you know, Link Two is is foundational in that we have invested in 
what we're calling the wafer scale platform. And it's the first time a medical device mm-hmm. where we brought semiconductor manufacturing to medical device. So away from sort of traditional titanium cans to now uh, assembling like semiconductors do where we're imprinting on, on sapphire glass, we're putting the Bluetooth antenna, the, the circuitry. The reason that's important is because we want to be able to set a foundation where we can add sensors, we can be able to maximize longevity with the battery and really have a robust disease management tool. So you don't have to sacrifice you know, battery longevity because of Bluetooth drain, or you don't have to sacrifice sensor capabilities because there's no space left in the device, or maybe we want to go smaller someday. So we have a platform with Link2 that's going to give us many innovation options. Lead me into my next question, which was about the wafer scale manufacturing. Talk a bit more about why that is so significant. I know you you linked to one a design yeah. award, right? A MDM, yes. MDEA, uh, in in that uh, in receiving that, or at least in where that was discussed, you brought up the the wafer scale manufacturing. What went into the process to say we need to do it this way? Yeah, no, thanks for the question, Tom. I think so. First of all, we've had a wafer fab available uh, at Medtronic, which is unique in itself for a number of years, and so some very smart okay. uh, R and D leaders uh, were talking about how do we leverage this asset that we have to really help us with innovation. So a number of years ago. Um, they started working towards wafer scale capabilities. And again, the reason it's important is because it's a platform that will allow us to um, have more flexibility around form factor, around sensor um, integration, around battery longevity, and be able Mm -hmm. to give us more options that we'd be otherwise limited in a traditional titanium can. So uh, it's been a big technological lift because of some of the unique uh, way and unique challenges that the, the, the team had to overcome in order to have this work in a medical device format, but it's going to provide great return as we get into more and more advanced sensors in the future. So where do we, we go from here? We've talked AI, we've talked apps, we're talking wafer scale <laughs> manufacturing. This is, this is a unique business you have here. I mean, what is this sort of do you, do you see yourself addressing the same sort of um, um, disease states going after just AFib or does this bring you into a, a lot of other other specialties? You know, certainly, number one, we're still well underpenetrated in all the disease states that we serve today. So today, syncope mm-hmm. is underpenetrated in terms of unexplained syncope. Uh, cryptogenic stroke is a huge area of patient focus. We've made great strides in the last five years and have gotten in the U.S. to about 25% penetration or so in the indicated population. We just, though, had another piece of landmark evidence on June 1st published in in the Journal of American Medical Association called Stroke AF that looks at the amount of AF happening in the presumed known cause of stroke, small vessel, large vessel. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, pointing to how do we manage a high-risk population? We know that AF is a risk factor for stroke. And we want to prevent that next stroke. We want to prevent the first stroke, but if someone's had a stroke, we certainly want to prevent the next stroke. And so we are very focused on making sure we get these technologies and the indicated populations today, while also moving to new Mm. populations. And the next population we'll move to is heart failure. And so that's a a great opportunity as another big healthcare problem. uh, And using uh, link, what we're calling link heart failure is is the next uh, innovation to come. 
And, and in those areas where you, you, you mentioned it's under, underpenetrated, what is, what is the roadblock? Is it just the patients themselves don't know they need this help? Uh, what, what is keeping them from getting the, the technology they need? Yeah, there, there's several barriers and, and much of it is, so if we take stroke, for example, um, there are opportunities to really bring care pathways together between neurology and cardiology to make sure that those patients get to long-term monitoring. So oftentimes um, a neurologist or a cardiologist will start with a short-term monitor. Uh, We know from all the evidence that it takes longer typically to identify AF in the stroke population. And so a lot of those patients, if they start with a long-term monitor versus getting a link in the hospital, for example, they're often lost to follow-up. So how we work together to say, if someone starts with a short-term monitor, how do we make sure if it's negative, they get to a long-term monitor and make sure we're still looking for that AF because we know it takes over 80 days on average to, to identify AF in that population. So that's mm-hmm. one barrier, getting physicians to talk to each other between neurology and cardiology and making sure the care pathways are tight so that we're not losing these patients to follow up. And how much of your success going forward depends upon the, you mentioned Apple watches and of course, uh, uh, mobile phones, smartphones, Is a lot of your work going to be done in, in a lot of your contact with the patients is going to come through that, uh, that smartphone, uh, that smartphone desktop. It's not yeah, desktop, it's... whatever we're calling it. <laughs> it's not a desk. The, the, the smartphone. smartphone. Yeah. yeah, there you go. The smartphone is, you know, gosh, who, who would have guessed how many years ago that we'd be using our smartphone for everything. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? It's become the hub for all of us. So I, you know, certainly um, the Apple technology and platform, I, I get the question all the time is, you know, are you concerned about uh, the Apple Watch, for example? And it's opening up awareness for atrial fibrillation and opening up the population in a way that can hopefully help us help us get patients to to the therapy or to a, a link device, for example. But patient engagement is more important than ever. Mm-hmm. And we've learned in the last year with COVID how important remote monitoring is. The expectations that patients have moving forward around engaging in their own health and getting their data and better um, you know, engaging in, in the, the healthcare system is a great opportunity uh, for, for the business that I lead. And we're sort of the tip of the spear for how we can start to share data with patients and work with uh, this ecosystem that's been developed around us and make it even more powerful. So I'm excited about that. I think there's been a lot of fear maybe in the past about that, but we, you know, we are certainly heading down the road of patients getting more and more access to their data. We need to make sure we're prepared to help enable them. Fantastic. Well, it's a lot of exciting stuff going on. I'm sure we'll be uh, talking again as, as more news comes out. So thanks for joining us on the podcast, Julie. Thank you, Tom. It's been a great, great experience. Thanks. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again to Julie Brewer for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Minnesota Rubber and Plastics, for supporting the podcast. And of course, thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us today and for tuning in to this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. If you'd like to hear future episodes, please do subscribe. You can find the Medtronic Talks podcast on every major podcast channel. You can also find the Medtronic Talks podcast and our Device Talks weekly podcasts on devicetalks.com. Finally, don't forget to connect with me on social media. My name is Tom Salemi. I'm editorial director of Device Talks. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can find me on LinkedIn. Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Please do tag me when you share this podcast episode 
on your social media channels. I'd love to be part of that conversation. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Metronic Talks podcast. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Metronic Talks podcast waiting for you.